I'm glad to be here today. I'm glad to be alive today. I just feel good. Is that okay? I, you know, I, um, I've always been in the habit of getting up early and I've had my devotions like at four o'clock and study and I'd do things then go home and have breakfast with the family. And Sandy, uh, my wife, uh, on Sunday mornings, I'd come back for breakfast and uh, she would say, well, what are you preaching about? And I would tell her what my message was all about. And I said, man, I'm really excited about it. This is a great message. And she said, oh, you can't brag like that. And I, I told her, I said, well, what do you want me to do? Say this is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. So I, I'm glad to be here today. I'm glad to be here and able to share the word. And so this morning, I'd like you to turn in the book of Acts, if you would, to Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. And you know, it probably wouldn't hurt us. Well, no, you've been standing a lot. Just stay seated and I'll read it. And... uh Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed to judge to, as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is going to date me, but back in the 70s, we used to sing a song by Andre Crouch. Have any of you remember who Andre Crouch was? Passed away a short time ago. And the lyrics go like this. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. This simple chorus was written towards the end of the Jesus movement. Do you know what was so great about the Jesus movement? It was all about Jesus. I mean, that was it. As millions of people turned to him, many of them from the counterculture, many from mainline denominations, they identified themselves as Jesus people. Jesus people. Think of all the labels that evangelicals have embraced over the years. None of them hit the target of who we are and who we're supposed to be better than the phrase, that term, Jesus people. But to an even greater extent, this was true back in the first century church. The believers of that church were literally Jesus people. When you read the book of Acts, you see that the Christians of the early church didn't talk about politics or social issues or the culture wars. They talked about Jesus. Why? 
Because they knew that Jesus is the answer for the world today. That phrase is the heart of the gospel. In fact, that phrase is the heart of the New Testament. And this message has not changed in over 2,100 years. It's as true today as it was in the early church. Jesus still is the answer for our world today. In fact, friends, that's why I am here today, to talk to you about Jesus. Not about my denomination. Not about my political affiliation. Not about my opinion on this controversial subject or that controversial subject. I'm not here today to tell you what legislation should be passed or how to vote. I'm simply here to talk with you about Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is still the answer for our world today. And there is none above him. Jesus is the way. Acts 10 gives us the account of the Apostle Peter visiting a man by the name of Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile, and we know that Peter was a Jew. In those days, most religious Jews believed that Gentiles were at best second-class citizens and were not really a part of God's real plan for the human race. The book of Acts tells us how God went to great lengths through Peter in a series of uh, visions to demonstrate that God's word, the message of the gospel, is for all people. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you came from. The gospel is for everyone. Aren't you glad about that today? If so, say amen. We're going to go through a training process here in this church. Everyone just humor me. I'm only going to be here for a short amount of time. Say amen. 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 Yes. I won't get off of that, but that was much better. So Peter was invited to the home of Cornelius. Cornelius was not Jewish, as we said, and obviously he wasn't a born-again Christian either. So what was he? Well, back in that first century, there were many people who bought into the basic concept of Judaism. The idea that there is one God, and he wants us to be good. But they didn't buy into the whole package, then in terms of the rituals, the diet, and circumcision. These were people who would pray to Jehovah God. They would ask for God's help and his guidance. They would try their best to help others. They tried hard to to live a good life, and they might even attend synagogue. Religious Jews considered them to be good people, but not quite on the same level as a person who was Jewish by birth. I guess today we would call Cornelius a seeker, or I think even better, a pre-Christian. Do you know who pre-Christians are? They're everyone who's not a Christian. You see, we set our sights way too low. Everyone out there who doesn't know Jesus Christ has the potential of being born again. Amen? Amen. Everyone out there is a pre-Christian. And so Cornelius was interested in spiritual things, but, but he was not fully plugged into a personal relationship with God. So Peter went to Cornelius' house that day specifically for the purpose of telling him how to get connected in a life with God. And what did Peter say? Well, basically he said, Cornelius, Jesus is the answer. 
And then Peter went on and told Cornelius all about Jesus. Now, the Bible says that Cornelius was a centurion. In other words, he was an officer in the Roman army. But Peter didn't get into politics. He didn't get into the oppressive nature of Rome. He didn't get into a dissertation about the fact that uh, Judaism wasn't the only way. He didn't tell him that in order to know God, you have to have this view of Scripture as opposed to that view of Scripture, or this view of the afterlife as opposed to that view of the afterlife. He just told him about who Jesus was and what Jesus could do for Cornelius. More than anything else, the gospel message and the message of the church is about Jesus Christ, that he is the answer. So today we're going to look at Peter's message to Cornelius. And Peter's words were reminded of two things. Number one, who Jesus is for you and for me, but also as a church, what our message should be to the world around us, what our message should be to a lost and dying world. So today's message is just the first message in a short series I want to share from the book of Acts. And I've titled the series, Mission Mission Possible. Mission Possible. Now, you can read into that topic anything you want. By the way, what's the name of this church? It's called Mission Possible. Got it? Okay. There we are. And so we're going to see how the early church did it. But then we're going to learn how to translate and transpose what they did then into our life today and see if we can do some of the things and minister in some of the ways that that early church did. And do you know where it all begins? It begins with Jesus. He needs to be the center of all we do. As the old hymn goes, Jesus is all the world to me. And so there are three things that I want you to see today that Jesus can do for you, that he can do for you individually, but he can do for the church as well. First of all, Jesus came to bring you peace. Jesus came to bring every one of us peace. Look at verse 36. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Jesus came to bring us peace. While he was here on earth, he talked a lot about peace. But what kind of peace did he come to bring? Well, first of all, he came to bring us peace with God. He came to bring us peace in our relationship with God. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may feel like you've been at war with God at times. In fact, you may feel like you struggle with Him a lot, that He wants one thing and you want another, that you just never live up to His expectations for you. Well, Jesus came to bridge that gap between God and the human race. He came to bring us peace with God, no matter who we are. And as Paul says in Colossians 1.20, He made peace with His blood. Now, the second kind of peace that Jesus came to bring is peace with ourselves. Peace with ourselves. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Did you catch that? He didn't say just any kind of peace out there, but he said, the peace that I have in my life. How many of you know that Jesus had real peace in his life? And wouldn't you like to have his kind of peace in your life? 
And he said, well, I came. And this is the kind of peace I want to give each and every one of you. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus wants you to live with peace in your own life. To experience that peace that Paul talks about that passes all understanding beyond our comprehension. And it will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he also came to give us peace with one another. It's one thing to have peace with God. It's another thing to be peaceful in your own life. But to have peace with everyone else. Which is why we're told in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with all people. By the way, do you have any idea how many years in recorded history, some 3,400 plus years, this world has been at peace? (laughs) 268 years. 268 years out of over 3,400 years, there has not been a war going on sometime in our world, around 8%. How many of you know that is not a really good thing? But he also came to give us peace in the midst of turmoil. Peace in the midst of turmoil. In fact, Jesus said this in John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You see, the message of Jesus is all about peace. Peace with our past, peace with our present, and peace with our future. Peace with God. Peace with yourself. Peace with your neighbor and peace with your enemy. And even peace in the midst of the storm. Jesus came to bring peace to your life. But how can he promise such a thing? Well, Peter tells us in verse 36, why? Because he is Lord of all. In his own words, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. He's got it under control. So Jesus has the power to give each and every one of you peace in your life. And if there's anything that's lacking in our world, it's peace. I mean, I don't think I have to spend a lot of time trying to convince you that uh, most people are not living in peace in their lives. But I do want you to know that whoever you are and whatever you're going through today, Jesus wants to give you peace if you'll simply ask him for it and then receive it. That's one thing that Peter told Cornelius. Another thing is Jesus came to be an example. Jesus came to be our example. And I love how Peter summarized the entire life of Jesus in verse 38. He said, he went around doing good. He went around doing good. Isn't that a great way to summarize a person's life? What if you made that your goal and your aim in life? That on your tombstone, it's going to be written, he went around doing good. She went around doing good. In the gospel, we see Jesus performing all these miracles, these amazing feats. He raised a little boy from the dead. He brought sanity into the life of a young man who had been driven insane by spiritual oppression. He healed a woman who had been suffering for over ten years with a debilitating, humiliating illness. These were all miraculous events. I want you to realize that the most important part of each and every one of these events was not the miracle itself, 
but the compassion that motivated the miracle. You know, some people say, and I've read a lot of commentaries on this, that Jesus only performed those miracles to prove that he was the Messiah, to prove that he was God, to prove a theological perspective. Well, yes, the miracles do help prove that Jesus is God. And no question about that. And so does the resurrection. But why then does Jesus heal people? Simple answer. He healed people because he cares about people. He heals people because he simply cares about people. Several times in the Gospels, you read this statement about Jesus. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. It never says that Jesus encountered a a grieving mother who had lost her only son. And he saw this as a great opportunity to demonstrate that he was the Messiah, to demonstrate that he was God, to get across the theological point. Not at all. It says his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. And then he raised her son. You see, Jesus went around doing good. And these miracles that took place because he cared about people. And in him, we, you and I, have an example to follow. Now, you may not be able to turn water into wine, but when a friend gets into a jam, you can be there to help them out. Why? That's really what that water into wine story is all about. Some people found themselves in a difficult situation, in a socially embarrassing situation, and Jesus basically stepped up to the plate and he helped them out. You may not be able to multiply fish and bread, but you can help feed hungry people. You may not be able to control the wind and the waves out in the sea, but you can help your friends and people as they're going through some difficult storm in their life. You may not be able to perform miracles exactly like Jesus did, but you will be amazed at what you can do for others when you allow yourself to be moved with compassion as Jesus was. You see, the Bible tells us that Cornelius was a good man. He was respected by many. He was dedicated to doing good things, and he gave gifts to the poor. Peter said to him, in effect, Cornelius... I understand that you're a good man. And if being a good man is what you really want to do with your life, then let me tell you about Jesus, whose life can be summarized by the statement, He went around doing good. We read that Peter told Cornelius in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, Why? Because God was with him. Friends, the life of Jesus is an example that every one of us here can follow. How, you say? Simply ask God to anoint you with the Holy Spirit and power so that you can go around doing good. So that you can dedicate your life to helping troubled people. In fact, let me ask a personal question right now. How many of you here today have at least one friend who has a problem? And I don't want you to point it at that person next to you. Yeah. And if I were to ask you, how many of you have a problem? Yes, we all do. And we know people who have problems. And sometimes we pray, Lord, just anoint me with power so that I can go out and do this or that. 
and we miss out on what it's all about. What we do should be motivated with compassion because we care for people. And I want to just stop right now and just ask God's anointing to come upon this congregation and upon each and every one of us that we will be people with compassion. People of compassion. You know, even though I'm here for a short amount of time, I'm going to treat you like you're my congregation. I'm going to preach to you and preach with you and teach with you as if you are my congregation. Because you know what? You are my congregation right now. You're the only one I got. So this is the best I can do right now. (laughs) And, And so... I want us to be known as people who care about people. You know, in fact, I am convinced. I mean, Scripture tells us about the early church. The people didn't say, oh, man, notice how, how theologically theological that church is. Notice about this and that and how rich that church is. and what. No, he said, they will know that they are Christians by their what? Love. See how they love one another. And and I'm convinced that if a church really loves one another and that love begins to spill out the doors of that church, that that church will have to just take the doors off because people are going to be filling it so fast because they're looking for a church where people really love. Amen? You see, that's what it's all about. So I want you to just bow your heads with me and I want to pray God's anointing upon you. Holy Spirit. Just come and fill us with that same compassion and desire and drive that Jesus had. Help us to be Jesus people in that sense of the word. Help us to be filled with compassion. Help us to reach out to those who are hurting. Help us to reach out to those who don't have as much as we do. Fill us with your love. Help us to care about people. I pray that this would be a church that people would know about in the community because it's a church that cares. And so I ask for your power, but not power just to do the spectacular miracles, but power to be people of love. Lord, we thank you for this in your name. Amen. You see, Jesus is the answer for our world today because in him we see a life As it should be lived. But the third thing that Peter told Cornelius is, ultimately, Jesus will be our judge. Jesus will be our judge. You see, Jesus wasn't just a good man, a great teacher, a good example to follow. Jesus Christ is God. The Bible says that Jesus is eternal, just like the Father. In fact, Paul said that in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity is seen and lives in bodily form. That's why Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Paul said this about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But it didn't end with the death of Jesus. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And then Peter says to Cornelius in verse 42, 
He commanded us to preach, to share to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. You see, ultimately, every one of us is going to stand before Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Some are thinking, oh man, I'm scared to death. On the other hand, I know of no other judge I would rather stand before than Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because he's proven himself to be merciful and kind and compassionate. When a woman was caught in adultery, and by all rights of the law should have been stoned to death, Jesus came to her defense. And he said, I don't condemn you. Go and live a brand new life. A more merciful, compassionate, and loving judge you will never find. And yet, to everyone who stands before him, he's going to say one of two things. Either, I never knew you, or enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, here's the bottom line, folks. You get to make the choice as to what he says to you. You get to choose exactly what he's going to say to you. You see, each person has the opportunity to make that choice. Those who have chosen Jesus Christ will know that he is the answer, not only for today, but for all eternity. For most of us, eternity seems a long way off, especially as I look at this group over here. I mean, that's the last thing you guys are thinking about, is eternity. I understand that. But what about today? What about today? What's going on in your life right now? I, I don't know if you're, what you're experiencing now. Maybe, maybe you have success or maybe you're going through some kind of failure. Maybe you have a life of victory or maybe you're living a life of defeat right now. But I do know this. Jesus can bring a brand new dimension to every one of our lives. He can take us from a world of black and white to a, living, a world that's living with color. He can fill your life with a peace that's beyond description. He can fill your life with purpose and satisfaction that comes from helping and ministering to others. He can fill your life with assurance, the assurance that comes from knowing that you belong to him, not just today, not just tomorrow, but forever. And then Peter summed up his conversation with Cornelius in verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You know what it means to believe. It's not just something that happens between your ears. It's something that happens in your heart. And then it's filtered into something that you give your life to. You see, when we say, I believe in Jesus, it doesn't mean I just believe intellectually and conceptually in my mind of Jesus Christ and who He is. It means that I am giving my life, everything that I have, to Jesus Christ. You know, there, there just could be someone sitting here today who, who is like Cornelius. You've just been partially connected to the church. You've been partially connected to God. You've never really fully connected to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And today is a great day to make that connection. Do you need to make peace with your past? Jesus is the answer. Do you want a purpose for today? Jesus is the answer. 
Do you want hope for tomorrow? Jesus is the answer, not only for the world today, but for you today, tomorrow, and through all eternity. You know, I just pray that this simple little message that I've shared with you today will resonate in each and every one of our hearts and lives. But I also pray that this message will resonate in the fiber of this fellowship. I pray that this church will be known as a group of people. When things come up, they'll say, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. How many of you know there's no better answer than Jesus Christ? Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you today for this time together. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leaders. I thank you for those who are serving. I thank you for each person who is here. And you know where we've come from. And you know where we are in our spiritual journey. And where we are in our relationship with you and with each other and even ourselves. And so, Lord, I I pray that each person here would experience your peace. I pray that they would experience peace with God with themselves, with one another. And, Lord, maybe they're going through a difficult time that you would bring peace into that messed up relationship. And, Lord, I I pray that you would help us to become people of compassion, that your anointing and empowering would be upon us as individuals, but also collectively as the body of Christ. And then, Lord, I pray that no one would leave without having the assurance that they know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their lives. And we pray this in the all-powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.